Um, we're, we're skipping over chapter 23, um, and, and we're jumping right into chapter 24. Uh, there are, and I will just highlight for you, uh, a few, um, I call them anthropological markers in chapter 23 that I found interesting, just kind of signs of the times and the culture uh, in which Abraham lived uh, that, are, that are in that chapter, so I'd encourage that you read it. What I was amazed to discover in it, um, what, you know, when I think of those days and I think of Abraham living in a tent in Canaan, I picture almost like one step above cavemen uh, living there. You know, it was just tribal and very primitive uh, and whatnot. But when you read Genesis chapter 23, what you, what you discover is that uh, there were in those days... Uh, official and compl complex legal procedures. There were courts, there were records, there were negotiations, there were detailed contracts. Um, there was a culture in which they, 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 they negotiated. And so it's, it's remarkable to look at. There was a Bureau of Currencies and Exchanges. As you look at the way that they measured money, it was very detailed and specific. There were land surveyors and land survey markers that were uh, laid out, zoning regulations, places where, uh, you know, th there were zones for where dead were buried and different things uh, of that matter um, and, and all, of, all of the rest. And so um, that, that's all given to us there in that chapter. It's an interesting read just to see what was going on. But as we come to uh, chapter 24 now, we, we really come back into the narrative of Abraham's life and, um, and, and we see in this an incredible picture uh, through what happened here. Now, if I could, one more thing before we get into the text. If you recall, it's been um, quite a while now, several weeks, since we were in chapter 22. Uh, chapter 22 gave to us an incredible picture uh, of the redemption story. Um, and it was kind of acted out through an event in Abraham's life wherein God called him to sacrifice his only son. Uh, and it was a picture of the father uh, put, placing the wood upon his son, having him carry it up the hill, and then the father offering his son as a sacrifice. But yet there was a substitution, because there was a ram uh, with a crown of thorns who was substituted for Isaac. And then um, Abraham said that in this mountain, Mount Moriah, it shall be seen. So a very prophetic picture of what God the Father would do in sending His Son, the perfect Lamb, to be slain for the sins of the world as a sacrifice, uh, <coughs> crowned with thorns, suffering in our place. You know, pictured way back in the book of Genesis through Abraham and Isaac. Well, as we come to chapter 24, we see now an account of Abraham seeking to find a wife or a bride for his son, and the picture that was begun in chapter 22 is now continued in chapter 24. Uh, and so we'll see that unfold before us as we go. So let's look at the text first, and, um, and then we'll unpack it. So chapter 24, uh, verse 1. It says that Abraham was old and well stricken in age. Um, he is, at this time, 140 years old. He still has 35 years of life left in him. So he's not on his deathbed uh, quite yet, but he is certainly um, past the, the, um, 
the expiration date, so to speak, in terms of his uh, um, strength of his years and all the rest. And so it says that he was old, well stricken in age, and it says that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And that I underlined it in my Bible because that's what God said he would do. Way back at the beginning, he said, in blessing, I will bless you. And here, as we see Abraham so far now, on the other side uh, of all of this, 65 years after beginning his walk with the Lord, uh, we see that every word that God had promised to him has come to pass. That there is a blessing that abides upon his life in every way, body, soul, and spirit, his family, everything about his life has been blessed in all things. And it says in verse 2 that Abraham now said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. And so now we see Abraham coming to him with something on his heart. And he says, put, I pray thee, thy right hand under my thigh. Which was just a symbol that he was going to make a promise or take an oath. He's putting him under Abraham uh, to do something. His hand signifying what he does, and under his thigh, meaning under uh, Abraham's uh, authority. And so he wants him to make a vow that he's going to fulfill a task. And here's what it is in verse 3. He says, And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. And so what he's charging him with now is the task of finding a wife, a bride, for his son Isaac. Now that raises questions right off the bat. Why couldn't Isaac do it himself? <laughs> you know, what's wrong with him? Is he too shy? You know, what kind of a, a guy was it? None of that is given to us. Anything that we would say is pure speculation. But let it be, right at, right at the beginning, a clue that there's more to it uh, that meets the eye. And when you hear the instructions and the details of them, it should raise more questions in your mind. Why, why is he going through this? This wasn't customary of the day, necessarily. Um, it certainly isn't the natural way in which someone obtains a wife. So why is God having Abraham do this? And why is it recorded in Scripture? It's for a very specific reason what God is seeking to uh, communicate. By the way, um, Sarah has only been dead for three years now. So Sarah died three years ago in the narrative in this, and Abraham, uh, old, seeking to set things right, um, thinking that he's about to go be with the Lord, has his servant now take this oath. And he doesn't want a wife from the Canaanites. So it says in verse 4, he says, But you shall go unto my country, and to my kindred, or extended family, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And so the servant said unto him, Her adventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me, unto this land, must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence you came. So what if I go there and I can't find a woman who's willing to leave everything and come to this land, having never met Isaac, having never seen him, do you want me to then come back, get Isaac, bring him there, so that she can see the goods, so to speak. And so Abraham said unto him, and he's very uh, intentional, Beware that you bring not my son thither again. That no, he cannot. It's important. Now, you think, well, why not? I mean, was he that busy? You know, is there not enough servants to cover his uh, tasks for the time? You know, is he that ugly? You know, they, well, that's not going to work. You know, the best chance we got is, is if nobody sees him or, or knows him. You know, we know that's not the case because when we find 
um, at the end of the chapter, when the marriage <coughs> happens, we find that there was a connection between the two of them. So it certainly wasn't that. There's something more. Why? And so Abraham goes on, and he says, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spoke unto me, and that swore unto me, saying, Unto thy seed, singular, will I give this land, he shall send his angel before you, and you, and you shall take a wife unto my son from thence. Now just notice right there, on a side, the faith that Abraham has at this stage of the game. Notice the way that he addresses the servant. He says, The God of heaven, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house. He is so sure in the, in the presence of God, and in the promise of God, and in the power of God, that he has no question or no thought at all that he has to help him in, in, any, in any way anymore. He's been through all of that. <laughs> he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need Isaac there. He says, this is the way God's going to do it. He's powerful enough to do it. He keeps his promises, and there's nothing that will stop him. He will go before you and send his angel, and you shall take a wife unto my son from there. And then in verse 8, And if the woman will not be willing to follow you, then you will be clear from this my oath. Only, second time, emphatically, bring not my son thither again. And so, this woman must come by constraint. You cannot buy her. You cannot pay her off. <laughs> you know, She must be willing to come uh, in the whole thing. And if not, you're clear from this. You come home without a wife, you're free. You, you don't have to, 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 to think that you have to fulfill it. Uh, but you cannot bring, that's more important, you cannot bring Isaac there again. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. Notice that, how many he took. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. So he makes quite a journey here, Mesopotamia being between the Tigris and the Euphrates. So if you could picture Israel uh, just on the um, eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea and then traveling all the way to the land of Mesopotamia. And it's quite a journey uh, on a whim, hoping that this will work. And it says in verse 11 that he made his camels to kneel down outside the city by a well of water at the time of the evening even the time that women go out to draw water. Okay, now, um, for those of you, and, and I see that there's a lot of um, gray hair in here and a lot of no hair in here. Um, <laughs> if you find yourself, but not all of us, <laughs> if you find yourself in a position in life where you're looking for a wife, or if you know someone who is, or you find yourself counseling someone uh, and, and, and along these lines, um, there's a few things right here that are extremely practical in terms of uh, a good way to find one, a good, a good way to find a good wife. And then the first thing is, the, first, the very first thing that the servant does looking for a wife, not for himself, but for, for Isaac, is that he looks near the well, is that he figures, where, where's the best place for me to find a woman? And, and it was customary in that culture that in the evening, uh, the women would come to the well uh, to, with pictures on their heads, for, you know, for the things of the household, and, and you could tell a lot about the kind of woman based on whether or not she would be coming to the well. Now, 
spiritually speaking, the well in the Bible always speaks of a vibrant spiritual life or the source of spiritual life. Jesus Water. said, Jesus said that uh, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink, him being the well. And he says, out of his belly will gush torrents of living water. And if you want to find a good woman, look by the well. Look for one who draws her life and who finds her source in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see the uh, uh, servant here knowing that this is a good place to find the wife. And so he comes at the evening when the women go to draw water. And then he said, this is number two, you want to find a good wife? Uh, this is, this is uh, number two in your um, list of priorities is pray, ask. Ask God to give you the right woman. Notice what he does. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day. And anyone who's looking for a wife wants good speed in God's process of sending them a wife. <laughs> send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. I'm in the right place. This is the place where I know that I should be in, in looking for this to happen. And so here I am, Lord, by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And so, verse 14, let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that you have appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that you have showed kindness unto my master. Do you, do you hear the specificity in the prayer of the servant? Is that he's not afraid to, to pray a specific prayer in seeking the leading approval and appointment of God as to who this woman will be. And notice that he, he, he really goes out on a limb in this. And you can almost think, well, this is kind of tempting God. I mean, what human being in their right mind, uh, you know, would, would, I mean, first of all, giving a drink of water, no big deal. Anybody can give someone a drink of water. But 10 camels after a 500-mile journey? That's a lot of water. <laughs> you know? Especially since they, they've been known to go days without water. That's right. So how much will a camel... So how many trips to the well is this? Now, you know, he's like got some popcorn and he's getting ready to sit down and watch for a while. Because if someone's going to do this, uh, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take a little bit of effort. But he knows uh, that, that God is powerful enough to do anything. That nothing's too hard for him. And he so wants to... Uh, do the right thing in bringing the right woman to this man that he's willing to go out on, on a limb like this and say, God, uh, let this be the way that you answer this prayer. Now, you say, is it is it wrong to pray with that level of, of specificity? Is that tempting God? No, it's not. Because God doesn't have to, to answer it. He, he doesn't have to oblige you in that. <laughs> you know? so you're not tempting him. You're asking. You're saying, God, I'm very serious about your will in this. And, um, but here, here's the thing that I would say to you if you're going to pray with that level of specificity. After you do it, then you can't compromise. <laughs> then, you know, then you can't... Uh, can you, what is it? I was just going to say, Nick, the, the, the amazing thing that stands out to me is that, that we're living in a time and in a culture where women are property and where most marriages were arranged from the time... Boys and girls were little, yes. uh, long before they reached puberty. Yes. And, and, and here, rather than 
arrange a marriage for economic reasons, political reasons, social, uh, social reasons, cultural reasons, which were often what dictated right. the arrangement of a marriage. Yeah. He is trusting God to bring in from his prayer this woman who will supply the water yes. not only for Isaac but for the camels. Yeah. And so he leaves it to right. to the omnipotent rather than than basing yeah. arranging the marriage on worldly constraints. That's right. Yeah. Remarkable. And so um, and so he, he, he prays this specific prayer uh, um, tr trusting that God's going to do it. And, th and then he has to wait. He has to wait and, and see if this thing comes through, uh, which he does. So he prays this specific prayer. Now notice what it says about um, Re Rebecca now in verse 15. It says, And it came to pass, before he had finished speaking, well, that's quick, isn't it? Didn't he say, give, give good speed this day? <coughs> that's that part of the prayer, because it's before he even finishes the prayer. He didn't even get to the in Jesus' name, amen part yet. <laughs> It says, and, and you know what's funny is that there's a verse in Isaiah that says God will answer before if the words are, are formed in your mouth. He knows our need before we ask. But he tells us to ask. And he's asking, and he receives his answer quickly. Before he had done speaking, behold, Rebekah came out. Now, uh, we're going to find that Rebekah is Abraham's nephew's daughter. All right, so you could put that together in your mind. Because Abraham was 100 when he had his son, it makes her probably about the same age as Isaac. So they're equal uh, or nearabouts in, in age. So Rebekah comes out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, very beautiful. A virgin. Okay, we're, this, is like, we're, this is looking good. Beautiful virgin, already kind of rare. Neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water from thy pitcher. Now what did this guy look like? I want you to put yourself in Rebecca's shoes for a minute. Here's a guy, he's been traveling 500 miles. When's the last time he had a shave or a shower? You know, clothing tattered. He probably smells. And here he comes running towards this very beautiful woman, a stranger in a place where everybody knows everybody. I mean, what are you thinking if you're her? Weirdo. <laughs> here we go again. You know, another one. <laughs> you know, where do these guys come from? But that's not what we find in Rebecca at all. I picture her with her smartphone, like, oh my, OMG, can you believe this? Or you got a photo and post it on Facebook on your iPhone. And so verse 18, it says that she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had finished giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough, and she ran again unto the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. Amazing. How many trips is that? You know, and now, so what kind of a woman should you pray for? If you want a wife, you pray for a diligent, servant-hearted, kind, beautiful virgin. And if you find her, 
I want to know about it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Why? So you can have her too? <laughs> you might. No, because I just want to know where she is. But you might have to go to Mesopotamia <laughs> to find her, you know. Especially when I am protected from the baby. <coughs> now watch this, though, in verse, 20, in verse 21. It says, And the man wondering at her. And that is a wonder to realize what in the world is going on right here held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So watch, look, at, look at the patience of the servant. <laughs> that, is that he, if, she, if she waters nine out of ten camels, he's taking that as a no. If she waters nine and a half, if one camel's still thirsty, doesn't stop drinking, she says, well, that's good enough. That'll get you through until... Then, then to him, that was a no. Is that if he was going to pray specifically, then he was going to wait for the specific fulfillment of it. He didn't take 90%. It wasn't enough for him. This God will hear my prayer, and he will do according to all of it. Otherwise, wasted trip. And so he held his peace to see whether, whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so it came to pass, verse 22, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of a half shekel of weight, and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. And he said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me. Now notice that he doesn't um, let her serve for nothing. She has just done an incredible work for him and for his camels. And he rewards her with a, a, an unexpected gift. He gives to her something that she uh, didn't, didn't think herself necessarily worthy of, uh, nor was she serving for that sake. But she receives it. And so she said unto him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bore unto Nahor. Uh, she said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. So um, she meets the criteria on every level. That was the one thing that remained. Is, is she a part of the family? Because that was, that was part of what Abraham said, that she must be from my kindred. That's from there. And so even though she fulfilled the ten camels, it wasn't over yet, she still had to be a part of the family. Now it's confirmed that she is. And the frosting on the whole thing is that she's also hospitable. Because she, she, she says, you're welcome to stay with us as long as you're here. You know, not knowing yet what his business was, why he's there, what his purpose is, knowing none, none of that, she says, you're welcome to stay with us if you need a place for you and also for your livestock. And so the man, verse 26, proper response bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, God of my master Abraham, who has not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. And I love this. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And I have it circled and it's memorized. It is tucked deep into my heart. And it is important. Listen to what he says. He says, I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And I don't know what version you're reading here this morning, but I hope that it reflects those words. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. Which verse is that? That is verse 27, down towards the end of the verse. Second half of 27. Second half of 27. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. And the reason why I love that verse so much is because that is true for every child of God that will ever live concerning the will of God for your life, is that if you are in the way, then the Lord will lead you. You say, well, what in the world is the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know I'm to the That's right. Jesus is the way. 
Jesus said there are two paths. There is a broad path that leads to destruction, and there is a narrow path that leads to life. And he called himself the door and the very path itself. And so for you and I, if we are in the way, if we are in Christ, and we're walking with him, and we're seeking his goodwill for our lives, then we can walk in the assurance that he will lead us in the way that we're to be led, to the places we're to be led, and unto the things to which he's prepared for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says that God has before prepared good works that we should walk in them. The path is already laid out, and he's able to lead us in that path for his will for our lives. And if we're in the way, wise and faithful servants, he will be faithful to lead us and prosper the journey that he sends us upon. So I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren, Notice that when God answers his prayer, the very first thing that he does before anything else is that he gives thanks and he worships. Is that he doesn't just take it for granted and say, hey, how about that? It worked. Mm. And just kind of like, wow, prayer works. That, that wasn't, no, he knew that there was a personal, real God that was leading him, that was with him. He took the time to acknowledge him personally, <coughs> uh, to stop in his business and say, God, thank you for what you did in leading me in this way. And so it says that the damsel ran, so a little bit of, uh, of excitement in Rebecca at this point, and she told them of her mother's house these things. And so Rebecca now had a brother, and his name was Laban. He'll come into the story when we get into the life of Jacob at some point. And Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. Laban, no doubt, sees the bracelets, he sees the ring, <laughs> that which was given to him, and he says, Oh, a man of means in Mesopotamia, what's this about? And it came to pass that when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. Now, when we get to, get to know Laban uh, a little bit later on, we see that he wasn't really, you know, a Christian. <laughs> So this whole blessed be thou of the Lord thing uh, isn't necessarily coming from the pure heart of a hospitable man. He sees dollar signs. Opportunity. And so the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And so he said, speak on. He's more concerned about his master's business than he is about meeting his personal needs. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. Now when they heard that name, there was no question as to who he was talking about. Uh, this is Grandpa Nahor's brother, you know, and they know who he is. And so, and the Lord has blessed my master greatly, obviously, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold. And every, with every one of these words, Laban's eyes are getting wider and wider and wider. And men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, whom they knew, bare a son to my master. And they knew that she was barren because it's recorded way back in Genesis 12 at the beginning before they left. So she bare a son. Um, when he was old, or when she was old. And unto him, Isaac, the son, has he given all that he has. 
And my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go unto my father's house, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son. And I said unto my master, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, The Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angel with thee, and prosper thy way, and you shall take a wife for my son of my kindred, and of my father's house. Then you shall be clear from this my oath, when you come to my kindred, and if they give not thee one, you shall be clear from my oath. And I came this day unto the well, and said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if now, or, yeah, if now thou do prosper my way which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink. And she say to me, Both drink thou, and I also will draw water for your camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord has appointed out of my master's out for my master's son. And before I had done speaking in my heart, now mark that, because we don't we don't learn this in the prayer before, but he never even he never even vocalized these words. This was a prayer that was offered <coughs> silently in his heart. God hears the silent prayers of our heart. It isn't necessary for us to vocalize our prayers. For me personally, it is necessary to vocalize my prayers because my brain will not focus enough <laughs> for me to be able to do this. I can have thoughts and fleeting things, and I'm sure God hears and sees those things, but for me, I, I almost have to pray out loud audibly. And so God hears both the audible, but he also hears the prayer that is just offered in the heart and the quietness. He says, Behold, before I had done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water, and I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? Criteria number two. And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bare unto him. And I put the earring upon her face and the bracelets upon her hands. And I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord, and blessed the, God, the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. So he declares his intentions at this point by saying, this is why I'm here. This is my business. My business is I want your daughter. Comforting. <laughs> That's what he wants. And he lets them know it at this. And so, verse 49, he lets business stay business. And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. The third measure in this criteria is that the woman must be willing to go. Remember? So not only uh, did he laid the stipulation of the camels, which has been met, and not only is she part of the family, which has been met, but now she must also oblige. She has to say yes, and part of that yes is that she has the approval of uh, the, the extended family that are there. And so the servant <coughs> keeps business, business. He's proven that he is who he said he is. He's put his money where his mouth is. He's shown that he's serious about this. Uh, commitment here um, and the details of it. He's shown that he's walking with God. He's laid out every bit of integrity that, that he can to bring validity to his request. And now he says, give your answer. 
He says, tell me, do I, do, should I go back to the well, or, or is this the end of my journey? And so Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. They can bear witness. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. That we, we can't say whether we like it or not. It's irrelevant because we recognize that this is, this is the hand of God. And when something is the hand of God in our lives, that's a good attitude to have. If God reveals that something is his will, then we have no business deciding whether or not it's good or bad. It is God's will. And, and God's will is always good. And so uh, whether we see it a certain way or not, uh, it is what it is. If it's God's will, it's good. And so he says, we can't speak bad or good. Behold, they now punt and they put the ball in her court. They say, we give our approval, but behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. So, you know, between the lines, we, we conclude that uh, the, the, the prospects of men in Mesopotamia was no better than the prospect of women in Canaan. <laughs> so they weren't thrilled about her marrying a Mesopotamian as much as Abraham didn't want Isaac to marry a Canaanite. So they're like, this is a good deal. You know, she gets Isaac, we're happy with that, uh, um, and she won't be with one of the losers here. <laughs> and, and, you know, she was a little bit of a rebel. She did have a nose ring, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, is there any distinction to be made in the translation between earring and nose ring? Well, uh, it was a nose ring, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But, you know, I, and I don't know why. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, irrelevant, maybe. Who knows? But it says that it came to pass um, that when Abraham's servant heard these words, he worshipped the Lord. Notice the second time. He's, he's giving God praise for these things, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her her brother, or gave to her brother and to her mother precious things. Uh, so it, it's implied here, though it's not um, explicitly spelled out yet, that she is in agreement with this also. Uh, the only thing that's left to question is the timing of when they're going to leave, which the servant is now going to deal with. Uh, but it's assumed in this that Rebecca has, has agreed, that she's interested in the whole thing, and, and with her yes, she is now uh, showered with the precious things of Abraham's house. Uh, the, all, that it, all that belongs to the son has already been given to the bride-to-be at, at this point when she says yes. And so they did eat and drink, and he and the men that were with him and tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten, and after that she will go. And he said unto them, strong, faithful servant, hinder me not, seeing that the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. It's a long journey. Yeah, I don't even give you time to think about this. <laughs> you know, no second thoughts. Just if, if a yes is a yes, let's go. And so they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And so they called Rebekah, and they said unto her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah, and said unto her, Thou art <coughs> our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, which will come to pass, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And that will come to pass. 
And Rebecca arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, all ten of them, and followed the man, and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac, now back at home, came from the way of the well Lahairoi, which was near home, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the evening time. So now notice that Isaac leaves his home and he comes into a field for the sake of prayer, meditation, in the evening. And it says that he lifted up his eyes from there and he saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. By the way, that's the first mention of smoking in the Bible. <laughs> Well, Rebecca lighted off the camel. She was like, oh my goodness. Smoking. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> For she had said unto the servant, what man is this that walks in the field to meet us? And so there's something about him that immediately strikes her as well. And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac now brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. And so... Um, Sarah, uh, a picture of Israel, you know, proper in relationship to God, the husband or the wife of, of, of the father, um, buried now, uh, and now uh, in her tent, brought into her tent, grafted in, if you would, is this bride uh, brought into the family from a, a foreign land. And so we look at this and we say, well, that is just a precious story. And it really is. I mean, it's one of the most remarkable stories of providence uh, and God's uh, putting things together and orchestrating in the life. And we see so many, we see the fingerprints of God's ways all over them. But underneath all of that, there's an incredible picture uh, that's painted, that's prophetic, that looks forward uh, into what God's plan is for mankind in God's redemptive history. Uh, notice, <coughs> notice just the factors of the thing as we just overview and, and look at what took place within the stories. The first of all, uh, the father, Abraham, um, commissions an unnamed servant who happens to be the chief servant in his house and who has control over all his goods, uh, and he gives him the task of finding a bride for his son. What's interesting to me is that though the servant's name is not given here in the text, we do know the servant's name because um, back in Genesis chapter 15, when Isaac, uh, uh, Abraham was praying for a son, um, Abraham gives his name. He says, I don't have a son, and the chief servant of my house, Eliezer from Damascus, is the heir of all that I have at this point, because I don't have a son. So this servant, his name is Eliezer. Eliezer means, his name means, God is my helper. And so the father sends an unnamed servant, whose name is the helper, to gather a bride <coughs> for his only begotten son. And it's imperative... In this commission, this charge, two things. Number one is that the woman being compelled willingly agree to this marriage. And that number two, she does not see the son. He cannot go there again. So she must agree of her own will 
and also do that without having ever seen the one whom uh, she will be married with and linked to forever. So she must come uh, on her own in this whole thing. Um, and so then we see that the drama unfold, and we see that as soon as this woman gives agreement or, or says that she will go, the first thing that happens is that she is given gifts. This unnamed servant showers this woman with gifts that she didn't expect or know anything about, and all of the master's resources were, were, were put at her disposal, and she was ornamented with his beauty uh, at the time when she just said yes, before the, the, uh, um, uh, the uni unifying or the sealing of the marriage covenant, before she sees him for the first time. All of those resources are committed into her hand. Then we see also that she rides on the ten camels that were sent at his disposal. You say, what in the world? Why ten camels? Why is that specifically laid out in, in, in the story? Number ten always speaks of the law in the Bible. There were ten commandments that were given. And I find it interesting. It says that she rode the camels. It's plural. It doesn't say she rode upon a camel. She rode the camels, the ten camels. Why is that significant? I'll tell you why. <laughs> because the bride is brought to the bridegroom through the law. And you see the picture beginning to unfold. The law was our schoolmaster, Paul said, to bring us to Christ until the, 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 the sealing of the purchased possession at, at that time. Then we see, in the, in the, in the final um, verses of the story, we see that the son himself, Isaac, left his home and he went into <coughs> the field. The field in the Bible always speaks of the world. Every time the field is mentioned in the Bible, it speaks spiritually, symbolically, of the world. Jesus said that a man sowed seed in a field. He said in another parable, he talked about the man found a treasure in a field. Every time the field speaks of the world. And so Isaac leaves his home, goes into the field, and there he meets his bride who has left her home, and then the two go back to his house. The Lord will descend with a shout, the trump. He will, we will meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will ever be with the Lord. And then she is grafted, this woman, into her mother's house, even as the church grafted into the family of God, according to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. It's an incredible picture of how after the son is offered as a sacrifice for sin, Genesis 22, the Holy Spirit is sent into the world to gather a bride for the resurrected son. The Holy Spirit who woos, but doesn't constrain, those that will come willingly to give themselves in an eternal union to the Son, Jesus, having not seen Him, willing to forsake all in order to be linked with Him forever and leave all to be united with Him. And upon our agreement, we are given gifts of the Holy Spirit, the resources of heaven laid at our disposal, given to us, according to our need, while we ride the Ten Commandments, the law which brings us to Christ, until the time that we meet the Lord in the air, and the Lord himself descends with the trump, and we declare with our mouth, who is that? And we're linked with him forever, brought into the Father's house, where our eternal destiny unfolds before us. A beautiful, very specific picture of the ministry of God in redemption. 
in first coming to the Jew, then sacrificing his son, Isaac, well, Jesus, to be the propitiation for sin, and then sending the Helper, Jesus said, when the Helper is come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, into the world to gather the bride for the Son. And that proposition is given to every single one of us. The Holy Spirit gently knocks upon every heart. And he says, will you forsake all for the sake of being linked with the Son of God forever, whom having not seen him, yet you love him? And for all that will, the resources of heaven at our disposal, and a destiny awaits us, wherein we will meet the Lord in the air, and we will ever be with the Lord. So God laying out through the life of Abraham, and through this drama that happened, what he will do in the building up of the church, and then in the gathering of the same, to be the bride of Christ forever. So an incredible, incredible picture that's laid out for us here of what God is doing. If you want to go through and meditate on the nature of a good and faithful servant, which is what we are all called to be, we work in tandem as the servants of God. We see that a good servant waits for instruction and doesn't run on scent. We see that a good servant goes when he is sent but does nothing else but that for which he's been sent. We see that he's prayerful and thankful. We see that he's wise to win souls. We see that he speaks not of himself, but of his master and his master's son. And we see that a wise servant presents the true issue and requires a clear decision, undeterred from his purpose. So an incredible uh, chapter. It speaks to us on many levels, reveals God in such an incredible and beautiful way and uh, what he's done. What he's done for us is that he, from afar, saw us and was willing to say, I'm willing to be married to you if you're willing to be married to me. I think 